Let's, let's offer God some worship and some noise. Come on, man. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. We're going to worship in 20, 25 minutes, so get ready because we're going to get back after this thing. But allow me just to introduce myself a little bit more, uh, even than what Jared did. My name is Scott Rogers. I know a lot of familiar faces here. I used to be on staff here at Res Life Church. My wife, Shelly, and I uh, met uh, going to church here. We've been married for a long time, and we have three kids. Two of them are awesome, and uh, just been married for a long time. And uh, my parents are sitting right back over here. Wave, say hi. Come on, come on. Put your hand up. Wave, say there they are. Okay, right there. And um, golf clap for you too, mom and dad. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, we live just outside of Sacramento, California, and I got to come out this weekend, of course, to be here with you guys, but this morning I was at Victory Church, a sister Res Life Church up in Mount Pleasant with Pastor Dar. Anybody know who Pastor Dar is? What a cool, cool guy. I know that his family's real close with Pastor Dwayne and Jeannie, and um, just a cool church they have going on up there in Mount Pleasant, and we were out for dinner last night, and just talking, and, and he and I just connected immediately, and we're talking about life and ministry and all that kind of stuff, you know, talking shop, and I can't tell you how many times, I mean, it was literally four or five times in one meal, we were talking in, in, in his relationship with Pastor Dwayne and my being on staff here for a long time, that what would come out in the conversation was, remember when Pastor Dwayne taught us blank? Remember when Pastor Dwayne would say that? And we're just kind of reminiscing about the things that we learned while just being in this house. And then I, I said to Dara, I said, you know what Pastor Dwayne does, though, is that when, you know, ever we, we kind of see one another, he picks on me because I live in California. And he's kind of like, hey, Scott, how's the, how are the fruits and nuts in California doing? And <laughs> are there any Christians out there? And I'm like, Pastor, there's a lot of Christians out there. And he's like, yeah, but they're California Christians and all that kind of stuff. So I brought Pastor Dwayne a gift tonight. It's, this, is, this is for you. I'm not sure where you're, where you're seated, but this is a reminder. And Pastor, I hope that you wear it when you're fishing, when you're out uh, just doing your stuff. You can even wear it to church. Al gives you permission to wear it on Sunday if you'd like. And even when, this let it be a reminder, even when you don't love California, California still loves you. So this is for Pastor Dwayne. Al, can you make sure that he gets it? Because he probably won't take it if you don't hand it to him. So um, I want to ask you a question. How vibrant, how fulfilling, how robust is your spiritual life right now? If you were to measure it or think about it on a scale of 1 to 10, where would you rate where you are in your walk with Christ in this moment. You don't have to shout it out. You don't have to try to act all holy or anything like that. But where are you on a scale of one to 10? Could it be that if you're at a seven, how might going to an eight impact your marriage? If you're at a five right here, right now, and you walked out of here in a half an hour and you're at a seven, how might that affect your approach to parenting if you're, if you're parenting kids? If you're at a two, what if it went to a four? How might that may be the difference maker in the workplace tomorrow morning? And if you're at a zero, what if you walked out of here at a two and began a relationship with God that was life-giving and fulfilling? Just think about it. Where are you? Where am I on that scale? Because I don't want, I'm not going to teach tonight. I just want to encourage you. Is that okay? 
I just want to encourage you, and then we're going to worship some. So if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Exodus. Everybody say Exodus. Go to Exodus 33, and while you're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of context. Exodus 32. Here's what's going on. So Moses is on the mountain meeting with God, and God has delivered his people from Israel, or from Egypt, my apologies, and he's delivered them from, from Egypt, he's taken them into the promised land, and Moses is meeting with God, and he's writing all this stuff on the tablets, and Moses is on the mountain, and what it happens is a few weeks go by, and the people start going, hey, Aaron, like you're, you're his sidekick, where's Moses? Where has he gone? It's been weeks since he went up there. We don't know what's up. We need someone to lead us, and we need a God to lead us. So Aaron, you're up. Next man up. And Aaron passively says, okay, uh, I'm up. And, and they're like, we, we got we to gotta find a God to lead us because this guy's been leading us all the way, and what are we going to do? And so Aaron has this brilliant idea. He takes an earring offering. And they come and bring all their earrings of gold, and they melt it. How many of you guys are familiar with the story? And they melt it in the fire, you take it out, and they shape it into the form of a, of a calf, which is real similar to what they worshipped in Egypt. They would form these idols into the shapes of animals and cows and calves, and they would worship them. And so this is going on in the camp, and the people are worshipping this golden calf, and then once church is done, they kick into Mardi Gras mode and start partying like crazy. And God says to Moses, hey, time out. You got to get back down there. This is not good. So Moses comes down the mountain, sees all that's going on. He's all ticked off, throws the tablets down and breaks it. And now we're going to pick it up in Exodus 33 where Moses comes and he, he brings some correction and then he goes back up the mountain again, okay? And he's meeting with God. So if you're at Exodus 33, we're going to start right at verse 1. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, now this is in his return trip, he's back up there again. So the Lord says to Moses, leave this place, you and the people that you brought up out of Egypt. Now catch the tone here. God is not happy. And he's saying, Moses, these people that you brought up, who brought them out of Egypt? It's not a trick question. God did. God says, these people that you brought up out of Egypt, and he says to him, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. He's talking about the promised land, right? Verse 2, and God says, I will send an angel before you, and I'll drive out all the ites. Verse 3, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. So God is saying, I'm, okay, I am not happy right now. But I am going to still allow you to go into the promised land, this land that flows with milk and honey. What he's really saying is this land that has an abundance of agriculture and livestock. It's the land that I'm going to continue to provide. Okay? So stay with me on this. And he says, he says go to the land that flows with milk and honey, but, everybody say but. God says to Moses, but I will not go with you. Because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. And every parent here says, I understand. <laughs> I mean, when's the last time you drove to, to, to see the Tigers play, or you go to Cedar Point, and you're driving down the road, and you say to your spouse, would you shut those kids up before I send them to heaven? You know, anybody else do that but me? Okay, I'm the only one. You're all, you're all so holy. And so here's what goes. Go down to, go down to verse 7. And it says that Moses would take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. 
anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Keep that in mind. We're going to wrap back around there in just a couple minutes. But here's something profound in verse 11. It says that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Now process that for a moment. Now, if you read this later, and I encourage you to do so, you're going to realize that this was more in form or more in function, not in form. Because later, Moses says, God, reveal to me your glory. And God says, all right, you really want to see who I am? You better tuck behind the rock because if you see more of my glory, you're just going to, you're going to vaporize. But it says that really in, in function, God is speaking to Moses face to face as we would speak to a friend. I was, um, this was like, this was New Year's Eve day, speaking at a church in, in our area, and um, they had asked me to talk about prayer, and I'm talking about prayer, and I used this text, and I, I got really super, super deep, not, and I said, how do we pray? And I read Exodus 33, 11, and I say, you know, at its foundation, at its core, we pray like we're talking with a friend. I mean, think about that, the immensity of God's grace that he gives us the opportunity to come into his presence and speak with him just like we're talking to one another. That's just crazy. And I got done uh, teaching that and I'm hanging out in the back of the room in between services. This elderly, elderly gentleman walks up to me with all sincerity and he says, man, thank you so much for that message. That was a game changer for me. He says, all my life, I've always felt um, insecure and awkward about praying. I never really knew how to pray. And you said, I can just pray to God like I'm talking with a friend. That just, that changed everything for him. And God gives us that opportunity. I said, yeah, you know, we can talk to God. Like, not, not just a friend at surface level, but God wants us to talk with him like he's a friend whom we can be awkwardly transparent, who we can tell the whole truth because he already knows the truth. He is the truth. And we can lay it all out there and tell him everything, and yet he never leaves us or forsakes us. That's incredible. I mean, we can tell him everything, and he doesn't leave us. If you watch the Hallmark Channel, you can tell him he won't leave you. If you're a cat lover, he still won't leave you. This shows the depth of the love of our Father. You can even be an Ohio State Buckeye fan. <laughs> he might think about leaving you, but he doesn't. So Moses, here's Moses knowing this, and he's getting awkwardly transparent with God, and they start going back and forth in conversation. Let's pick this up. It's just, it's just amazing. Go to uh, verse 12, Exodus 33, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. So Moses gets it. He's like, okay, you're not going with us. You said you're going to send an angel. Who's the angel? I don't know. And don't send me with these people all by myself. And then he says, you have said, I know you. He's reminding God what he said to him. You've said, I know you by name and, and you found favor with me. Verse 13. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you. Now that's, that's a great prayer. 
Because there's always more that we can know of God. No matter if we think we're a 10 and a half on a scale of one to 10 in our spiritual life, there's always more of God that he wants to reveal to us. Let me prove it. How many of you here are married? Raise your hand if you're married. How many of you believe you knew everything about your spouse the day you got married? All right, I settled. That's, that's, I made my point. And then he says this. He says, if you're pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And then the Lord replied, check this out. My presence will go with you. So God is changing his mind. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Last verse right here, verse 16. How will, and Moses says this to God. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? What else? You see, in this situation, God is going to follow through with bringing his people into their promised land, but he was thinking about withdrawing his presence. And Moses is basically saying, Lord, we want your promise. We want to go into the promised land but we really need your presence. In fact, God, we don't want your promise absent from your presence. Is anyone here like me that you might be a little guilty of like pursuing more of God's promises in your life than his presence? Anyone? And Moses is saying, nah. No, God, we, 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 want your, we, want your, we want your presence in our life. Yeah, well, we'll take your promises. I can't tell you guys how many times over, over the years I have just, God, I need this from you. I need that from you. Will you do this for me? Will you do that for me? And how many of you guys are thankful for the promises of God? Come on, raise your hand. Yeah, praise God for his promises in our life. Yet, it's his presence that sustains us. Moses knows this. He covets his presence above his promises because Moses knows not only does the presence of God sustain us, it's the presence of God that gives us strength. It's the presence of God that guides us, that counsels us, that comforts us, that directs us. It's the presence of God that heals our brokenness. It's the presence of God that gives us the grace to forgive someone in whom we are unforgiving toward. It's the presence of God that scripture says distinguishes you and I as followers of Jesus from the rest of the people on the face of the earth. Think about it for a moment. Even if God provided a job, he provided the finances, he provides the vehicle to go to work, he provides the, the, the sustenance to, to feed the family and all this stuff that he promises to give, a, give to us when we honor him first. But there's a lot of people in the world that have a car. There's a lot of people in the world that have a great job. There's a lot of people in the world that have, that have a healthy family. That doesn't really distinguish us from the rest of the folks on our planet. It's the presence of God in our life that sets us apart, not because we're better. Look to the person to your right. Look at him real quick. See, not because we're better, but it's by his grace. So how do we experience more of God's presence? How do we go after it? How do we say, okay, Lord, I'm going after your presence 
before I go after your promises. I'm going after both of them, but it's your presence that I really need. And we see in this text one very foundational way that many of you are familiar with, but I just want to encourage you to crank it up and do what Moses did. He got away and he got alone with God. He would go out to the tent of meeting and spend time with God, talking with him like he's a friend, face to face. When's the last time you got, a, got, a, got alone, got away and got alone with God? I'm the, I'm the one in our house, I'm the one that gets up earlier than everyone else. So that's my time. Your time might be different. It's pretty simple. And like many of you, maybe that's, you know, early morning and I, I, have, this, I have this little easy chair in our living room and I just, I brew up the coffee because that's, you know, that's, that's the spiritual first step. Get the coffee brewing. And I just go hang out in the easy chair and I'll read some scripture. But it's not just, it's not just reading our Bible that invokes the presence of God. It's spending time worshiping and praying. I was sitting in my easy chair a, a few weeks ago, and, and don't let me try to sound hyper-spiritual to you guys, because Alan and Agnes know that I'm not, but I'm sitting there, and I'm just kind of having my, you call it quiet time, devotion time, whatever, just you know, reading scripture and just pondering it, meditating on it, whatever you want to call it, and God spoke to my heart, and, and it was in a form of a question, and it was really it didn't, you know, didn't scare me, didn't spook me. It was just really soft. And, and the question was, Scott, are you a believer? I'm like, of course. Yeah, I'm a believer. And the immediate response was then, you're a worshiper. The first response of a believer is to worship. I want you to worship me more. And I have found in this, even the last few weeks, those simple times of getting away and getting alone with God when I get out of my easy chair and on my knees and just worship for a moment, it changes my whole day. It changes everything. A few years ago, I started uh, drinking more water. I didn't really have a taste for water. Anybody relate? Like, like, oh, there's no sugar in this. I don't like that. And, uh, but it was, it was quite a few years ago, and I just knew I, I've, I had to drink more water. So I was just forcing it down, and pretty soon I liked it. And I'm drinking more and more of it. And I just did some basic reading about hydration. And, you know, the simple stuff is that at least what I've read is our body's made up of about two-thirds water. And we need to be hydrated. It's good for our kidneys, our liver, everything. I mean, even for a lot of common ailments that we, we have. Hydration is key into solving that stuff. And then I read something that said that um, the doctors, whoever they are, say that 75% of Americans live in chronic dehydration. 75% of us are chronically dehydrated. And it just hit me, I'm thinking, man, you know what? And, 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 the, and the solution is simple. Drink water, right? Drink more water. And it hit me though, in all of my years of walking with Christ, I gave my life to, to Jesus in 1991. That's when I started coming to Res Life Church. And in all my years, I've observed some things in my life. And now as a pastor for quite a while, I've observed this in the lives of those around me. And I'm going to say this. I do not think I'm over-dramatizing this. I think I'm actually um, being a little conservative in this estimate. 
But I want to estimate that based on my own life and what I see around me, that 75% of Bible-believing, church-attending, even Bible-reading Christians are living chronically, spiritually dehydrated. What's the answer? Prayer and worship. Prayer and worship is like hydration in our spiritual life. We can know the truth, but it can still feel like we're living in a desert. But when we begin to worship God and express gratitude and thankfulness and to spend time praying, that invokes God's presence on our life and it just hydrates everything. So get away and get alone with God, but don't let it just stop there. Think about, there's a scripture in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, I think it says, and it says this, pray continually. And you think, how do I do that? I mean, my goodness, I, I can't do that. I, what am I going to do? Am I going to close my eyes driving down the road? Am I going to close my eyes when I'm riding my bike? Am I going to, what, what's that? What is that? And here's, here's the Scott Rogers third grade paraphrase of 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Whenever you think to pray, pray. Whenever you think to worship, worship. Just express some thankfulness to God. Whenever you think about someone that you should pray for, just say a simple prayer and practice an awareness of God's constant presence. And I guarantee you that take it to the bank, God will begin to respond and you will become more sensitive and aware of his active presence in every part of your life. Get away, get alone with him. Worship in prayer. This is not rocket science, right? But if we do this, we can go from a seven to a nine, maybe to a 10, from a two to a five, to a six, from a zero to a three, to an eight. But we've got to covet God's presence over and above his promises. Moses said, I'll I'll take your promises, but we're not moving unless you go with us because that's the only thing that distinguishes us from everybody else in the world. We're going to worship in, in just a moment, and I'm going to ask Jared and the team to go ahead and come on up. No rush. Um, Christmas, this last year, we, were, we have these, uh, this outlet mall about a mile from our house. And we're, the girls are home from college, and we're all kind of walking around. Everybody's shopping, and they have this coach store. Anybody guys know what coach is? It's like those purses that are like cost as much as a car kind of a thing. And we're like, well, let's go in the coach store. Let's just see what they have. And because I saw through the window, they had some backpacks. And I thought, oh, this is cool. Let's go check out their backpacks. So I walk in and, and the backpacks are like $400 at the outlet mall. And, and I said to my son, Dylan, it was just him and I and the girls and Shelly walking somewhere else. I said, Dylan, see this backpack? Isn't it cool? And, you know, he's a junior in high school. So he's like, yeah. And I said, you see how much that is? Yeah, 400 bucks. I said, Dylan, you will never have this backpack. And you will never spend $400 on this backpack because you're my son. You got it? All right, Dad, whatever. And then we walked over to this cologne. And they had the Coach Cologne. And we're like, oh, let's check out the cologne. And we sprayed on. And, and both Dylan and I are like, this smells good. How much is this? And we go, oh, whoa. But Dylan was thinking, man, this is, this is, the ladies are going to be liking me if I use this cologne. This is great. 
Well, we didn't buy any because I'm a cheap skate. So we walk out of the store and we're talking about it with Shelly and the girls. And so Shelly and the girls, or actually this, the two girls, Ashley and Morgan, ordered some cologne, bought it on Amazon. They bought him this bottle of uh, Versace cologne. And it's like 30 bucks. But still, I mean, come on, 30 bucks for this like little, little thing of cologne. And so he gets at Christmas, he's like, oh, this is cool. And later in the afternoon, we're a, we're a pretty exciting family. We're sitting there on Christmas Day, we're playing Scrabble. Whoopee. And we're sitting there playing Scrabble, and Dylan sprays on some of the cologne. And he's like, oh, that smells good. And all the girls are, you know, Ashley Morgan talking about it. And, oh, that's some good stuff. You're going to be a lady killer now. And so we just go on and keep playing Scrabble. And our dog, we have a dog named Tucker, and he jumps up into Dylan's lap. And so Dylan's holding Tucker while we're playing Scrabble. Tucker gets down after 15, 20 minutes. Guess what Tucker smelled like for the rest of the day? Versace cologne. Do you realize that when you and I get away and get alone with God and chase after his presence even before his promises, that the scent of Jesus begins to rest on your life? How many of you guys can say, Scott, you're telling the truth. There's something different about my life when I spend time with God. I mean, I'm a more patient guy when I spend time with God. I'm a more loving person when I spend time with God. I am less of a tailgater when I spend time with, not a complete non-tailgater, but less of a tailgater when I spend time with God. You know, the scriptures say that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much, James 5. And I don't know about you, but the circumstances that I pray for don't always change for the better after I pray for them. But when I spend time in God's presence, I always change for the better. So I want to encourage us, as Jared leads us, just to, just to worship. And maybe if, if, it's, if it's your deal, you can come up here and you can worship. And we'll have a few folks here that can pray with you if you'd like. This isn't a counseling session time. This is our time to just worship him and begin to activate more of the practice of chasing after his presence. And literally beginning to see it sounds kind of weird but it's 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 it plays itself out the scent of Jesus on our life will distinguish us from those who are far from him and then we can love them and invite them into that same relationship so will you guys stand for a moment I want to pray for us and then I'm going to turn it over to Jared Father God we we're so grateful we're so grateful that you've given us access into your very presence through the blood of Christ. And so, Father, I pray for all these folks who came out on a, on a windy Sunday afternoon, hungry for you. And even for those who came out that weren't hungry for you, God, I pray that you'd stir their hearts right now and increase their hunger. And as we worship, God, would you just give us a gift of sensing your presence, would you make your presence tangible in this moment for your glory? And I pray that that presence would heal some broken hearts, would heal some sick bodies, maybe even heal some relationships right now. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name.